0: So I'm sort of going to be doing a message built on Nehemiah chapter 32, the verses we read, believe it or not. And it's certainly a difficult passage to do exposition through. But I do think that we can find truth in it that is applicable to us and beneficial to our lives. And so we're not going to be going, in other words, verse by verse through it but we'll be looking at various scriptures that relate and how they relate to our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Father, right now, we ask for you to have your way in our lives. God, speak through the truth of your word. May you be glorified. Thank you for the book of Nehemiah and the lessons that we learn from it. God, may we apply it in our church family, in our homes. May these truths sink into our hearts and become real to us. And change the way we live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Nehemiah knew God's promises concerning the kingdom of Israel and therefore the kingdom of Judah that southern kingdom that God had established had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC. And the Jews were taken captive to Babylon. We've heard about all these details. But God had promised to return them back to the land after 70 years of exiles. And by the time time of Nehemiah, when we come to Nehemiah, even chapter one, most of the Jews were back in the land. Nehemiah goes back to the land. It was Nehemiah's vision to see the kingdom of Judah basically reestablished, protected, and blessed by God. Nehemiah had now returned to the land when we get to chapter, chapter two, actually. And he had challenged the people, as we saw last week, to rebuild the wall and the gates. The Jews accepted that challenge. They divided up the work and they got busy building the kingdom protections. That's what we read about in scripture reading this morning. The allocation of various sections and people taking responsibility, often just building the wall adjacent to their own homes where they lived. They each took responsibility. And because they did that and worked together, each person just worrying, so to speak, about their own section and being responsible for their own section, the task was accomplished in 52 days. This was kingdom work. We today in the Western world, for the most part, we don't even understand what it means to live in a kingdom, to live under the authority of a king, under a leader that has absolute supremacy. There are some royal families still living today that have symbolic titles, but they don't really have sovereignty, at least not in the Western world. You know, we here in the United States were born in a revolution against the king. We celebrate the fact that we're a democratic republic with liberty and justice for all. We're people free and Self-governing, really. Not only are we proud of our individual freedoms, we love the idea of anyone, anyone gaining too much power. If anyone appears to get a little too big for their britches, we label them a tyrant. We seek to make sure that no one has too much power at any time over anyone. We refuse to live under leaders that possess power without consequences. We sometimes even use our military powers to liberate other nations with these political dictators. So we have no experience really to understand what it means to live in an absolute monarchy. The powers of the U.S. government are balanced in three branches, executive, legislative, and judicial. The people that make up these offices are either elected by the states individually or a collection of the state votes, or they're appointed by those who are elected. So, to a degree, the people of the United States are sovereign, to a limited degree. This is no doubt a blessing from God Himself. It's resulted in religious freedom that is almost unprecedented. In the last two centuries but there is one negative we do not understand the concept of a king or his kingdom we've never lived in that kind of a world the very concept that our society disdains is exactly what God claims for himself he is king he's king of kings and Lord of Lords with absolute supremacy, absolute authority, absolute free exercise of his will without any consultation, without any restraint. That's exactly what it means to be king. But the king of king is unlike any earthly king, whether that earthly king is good or bad. The king of kings is holy. He is sovereign. He is just. He's wise, he's faithful, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's loving, he's immutable, always the same. He's eternal, self-existing, self-sufficient, glorious, good, all-powerful, omnipotent, all-present, and all-knowing. And what he does... To a degree we can't even understand. Paul wrote to the Roman believers. We heard it in part last week. How unsearchable the judgments of him. That's how it literally reads in the Greek. How untraceable the ways of him. For who knew the mind of the Lord or who a counselor of him became. We can't even comprehend his ways. God is absolutely sovereign. Every atom in the universe is under his divine authority, under his supremacy. No one can do anything outside of God's decree. First Chronicles 29 says, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel. Our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. He is sovereign. He is king over all creation. All creation makes up his dominion. That's what kingdom means kingdom king dominion it's the dominion the kingdom is the dominion of the king god says in isaiah 46 remember the former things long past for i am god and there is no other i am god and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying my purpose will be established And I will accomplish all my good pleasure. MacArthur, Dr. John MacArthur said this. Based upon his absolute perfection, absolute knowledge, perfect wisdom, perfect power, and perfect will. He does exactly what he wants, when he wants, with whom he wants, and for the purpose he wants. Folks, God is sovereign. He is Lord. He is king over all. The psalmist declared in Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. The psalmist again in chapter 33, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world in all stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done he commanded and it stood still. The Lord nullifies the counsels of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation to generation. So just summing up that text, God is sovereign over all the inhabitants of the world, over all creation, over the council of nations and the plans of people. His counsel is eternal. It stands eternal and does not change from one generation to the other. He indeed is sovereign. Job said to the Lord, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ever. He's God. He's supreme. Isaiah wrote, for the Lord of hosts has planned Who can frustrate it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Psalm 10, The Lord is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. It's his land. And they are his people. While God is perfectly sovereign over all things and over all people, all creation is cursed. And every person enters this world in rebellion against the king even this is a part of his sovereign decree understand it or not it's a part of his sovereignty nothing happens apart from his decree due to the sin of adam our representative head we're all born sinners in rebellion against god's supreme reign and apart from his his intervention we have absolutely no hope. There's nothing we can do. We are born in sin. In sin, my mother conceived me. Apart from God's intervention, there's, we're helpless. We're hopeless without God in this world, just waiting to, be, to die and to be judged. But thanks be to God this morning, God intervened. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He left the glories of heaven. Read Philippians chapter 2. The kenosis passage. He emptied himself, not of his deity, but of the external expression of his deity, of his majesty, of his glory, and took on human flesh. He came to this earth. Lived a sinless life. Perfect. Perfectly keeping the law. That which we could never do. And he went to the cross of Calvary and bore our sins. Satisfying God. His demand for sin. Payment for sin for everyone that would ever believe. Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time came. See, God was working through history. It was at the very moment that God had planned. It was his will, his degree. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem us who were under the law. Do you know what it means to be redeemed? To be bought back out of the slave house of sin. He bought us back by his blood. He shed his blood and purchased us, reconciling the elect to himself. Everyone that would ever believe. That we might receive the adoption as sons. The word adoption means to be son-placed. We were not the children of God. Only in the sense of being his creation. But he has. Not just bringing us into the kingdom. But making us sons of the king. By adoption. We are son-placed. That's what he did for you and me, for those who believe on his holy name, who trust in his son and the work that he accomplished on Calvary's cross, those who submit to him as king, as Lord of their lives. Yes, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God promised to call out a people for his name. People from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It's ecclesia, the church. We are called out. We're called out of the world, out of the power of darkness, out of death, and brought into a relationship with God, brought into the family of God, made a child of the King. If God is speaking to your heart, believe, trust, put all your confidence in him, for he is indeed both Lord and Savior. He is the Lord, Jesus, Yeshua, the one that's named means God saves Christ, the Messiah, the one that God appointed, that he placed his finger. That's the one. He's the chosen one, my son. Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the remission of sins. Translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That word means to be transferred, carried away, or even deposited. Deposited. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. It's already happened. You know, I'm concerned that too many times we're so looking forward to the kingdom in the future that we don't realize the kingdom is now. Yes, it has a consummation in future days, but the kingdom has come. It's already here. And we need to live like it. The Spirit of God has come to dwell in our hearts. To change us. To make us children of the King. That should affect the way we live. It should change our lives. What God has done. Yes, there is a future consolation. But the Messiah, Mashiach, instituted a spiritual kingdom at his coming. Remember John the Baptist? These were no mere words. He preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. It's right there. Matthew chapter 3. John chapter 4. Jesus, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God's statement that the kingdom of heaven was at hand was not dependent upon Israel receiving the king. It was an unconditional promise. The kingdom was indeed at hand. Remember last week from Luke chapter 17. And when he, Jesus, was asked of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said to them, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Neither shall they say, Behold it here. Behold it there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Some translations say it's in your midst. But for those of us who believe it is within us. Because the king lives in us. He has come to dwell in us. As we sang this morning. It's through salvation. The work that's entirely of God. That we're brought into submission to the sovereign king of the universe. God has redeemed you. He has reconciled you to himself. You are a child of the king if you know him. You're no longer identified with the power of darkness. You've been translated, transferred, even deposited into the kingdom of his dear son. So what are we to do? We're children of the king. How should we live? What should we do? What should this mean for our lives? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, we're not to seek first the provisions of this world. That's what we often do. All of our efforts, all of our time, all of our hearts, through all of our hearts, we seek the things of the world because through them we think we find satisfaction, but they never satisfy Matthew 6.33, we're not to seek first the provisions of this world. But Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God will take care of the rest of it, our needs. You see, as believers, our hearts have been changed. It was mentioned this morning. From hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. A stone is inanimate. It's not living. It's hard. It's not pliable. But flesh is living. It has a source of life, blood. It's soft and pliable. It's interesting that when the Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized, John the Baptist said to them, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It's no problem with God. If God can do that, he can take our old stony dead hearts and transform us, giving us life, hearts, that have life based on the blood of the land. God can turn an inanimate stone into a living being. Only he can do that. He created ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's what the Hebrew word says, Genesis 1.1. When God gives you life, you're a new creation. So what does it mean to have a changed heart? The word heart is used in the Bible quite a bit. We use it. I've said to my wife, and she said to me, I love you with all my heart. The Bible refers to the heart. It says the Lord who knows the hearts of all men. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. If you believe with all your heart. It's not talking about a Blood pumping muscle, is it? The heart in the Bible, especially the New Testament, is the seat of the emotions. It's the spiritual part of us where all our desires dwell. As I've said for many years, it's where our love to dwells. The Proverb says, Proverbs four, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Jesus said, But what comes out of the mouth of mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person, Matthew 15, 17. When God changes the heart, he changes the real person. He changes the want to. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. MacArthur says it's not about perfection, it's about direction. God puts us on a new direction. We become new creations. If God has given you spiritual life and transferred you into the kingdom of his son, we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness above all else. That should be what our lives are all about. That should be the desires of our hearts. His kingdom And his righteousness. Serving the king. Living for the king. Our father. Not just any king. But the king of heaven and earth. The king that created. And spoke this world into existence. That's the one we serve. The king that sent his son. To die. To redeem a people. For his namesake. That's. Who we serve. It doesn't matter about the kingdoms of this world. They will all pass away. They're actually all under the authority of the supreme king. It doesn't matter about people's opinions. Their direction. Their goals. Their purposes. If they are in rebellion against the king. It only matters about the kingdom of his dear son. Nehemiah called the Jews to build the wall and the gates for the protection of God's people for the kingdom of Judah. We read in Nehemiah chapter 3 where we heard how the responsibility to build was divided up among the people. Some people built the section of wall just adjacent to their homes. And because each did their part, because they worked together and took care of their responsibility, not anyone else's, the wall was built, as we said, in 52 days. Everyone working together for God's glory, for His kingdom. I want to invite you today to get involved in kingdom work. The kingdom of God's dear Son is called the church, made up of all believers. God has given us two realms, so to speak, where we can seek first his kingdom. Our own households and our local church. Cornerstone for those of us here. And these two realms are interconnected, without a doubt. When we seek first his kingdom, we must begin with our own families. We must build a wall of protection around them by diligently teaching them the scriptures. The scriptures are both. Offensive and defensive According to Ephesians chapter 6 Folks, I will never stop Challenging people To teach their children This is indeed kingdom work I've been in ministry for Too long to talk about But I've seen differences in families Over those years I've seen parents that Did nothing except take their kids to church and depend totally on the church to teach their children. And I know what becomes of that. I've seen it over and over and over. But I've seen parents who took the responsibility seriously to teach their own children. They did it with all their hearts. And they taught their children to love God with all of theirs. What a difference it makes. A parent has an influence over their child that no pastor or no youth pastor will ever have. They are the parent. What a responsibility. It's not just a responsibility. What an opportunity. Folks, ministry begins at home. We heard the responsibility last week, Deuteronomy 6. Where the responsibility excuse me, responsibility begins with the head of the home. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Verse 7 when you teach them, fathers teach your sons when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. That pretty much sums up the day, doesn't it? Every opportunity using every object lesson possible to teach them. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. That's what the Jews, they would tie phylacteries on their wrists and on their foreheads. But it's really a picture of getting the word of God into your heart and into your mind. That's what it was to be all about. And that's what has to start with the parents. It must be real for you. You must be the one that loves the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And then he says in verse 9, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. Publish God's word everywhere you can, on walls, above doors, on the gate. Write them on mirrors, every place possible. Put scriptures on your refrigerators. Reminders for yourself and for your children. The last word Jesus gave before ascending back to heaven. All authority, all power, dunamos, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i've commanded you and lo i am with you always even to the end of the age do we really think that this is something god called us to do to go into all nations and make disciples but he did not mean for us to do it at home When we compare scripture with scripture, about teaching, about family, we see that this responsibility of making disciples must begin at home. We must take leadership of our homes. The home is a God-ordained institution, the first institution that God ordained through which God is glorified. We need to have kingdom homes, just like the people in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day. We're not responsible for anybody else's home. I'm responsible for my own. Even now, I don't have any children that I'm particularly responsible for, not like I used to be anyway, but I have a wife. She's my responsibility. What a privilege God has given me. We must take leadership. We must take our own responsibility, just like the Jews of those Jewish families that build the wall, that put up the protection. Folks, we need to have family worship, devotions in our home. You don't have to prepare. People think, well, I got to spend hours preparing. You don't need to do that. Simply meet together with your family pray read the word of god sing songs what a great time with advent to begin doing this and if one of your family members asks you a question and you don't know the answer it's okay get the find the answer for the next time it doesn't matter just do it just begin having family time centered On the Lord. It will make a difference. But there's more to it than just that. As we saw in Deuteronomy. It's just not sitting down about. And reading about. God in, in his word for a few minutes. The whole day is supposed to be centered around these things. So I've got some suggestions for you. Watch a TV show or a movie as a family activity. Watch it all together, then discuss the theme, the plot, and the content in light of God's truth, the Word of God. You see, we can use technology for God's glory and for our family's good. If we don't use it for God's glory, Satan will use it for his. Bake some cookies as a family or prepare a meal and give to someone that has a need help somebody you see our kids need to see that christianity serving the king is about service go rake a neighbor uh, excuse me go rake a neighbor's leaves and share the gospel bake bread and teach your children that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven Take a walk in the woods or in the field or at the beach and talk about God's creation. Take another walk and look for the evidences of the curse. It's all around us. Take another walk. Find a large tree. Teach them how King, God's kingdom is like a tree from Matthew 13. Watch a foot race on TV or attend one and teach how the Christian life is like running a race. Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to the audio Bible in your home. Exercise as a family. This is a tough one. Exercise as a family. Then teach them that bodily exercise only profits a little in this life. But godliness is very profitable because it holds promise for this life and the life to come. After attending each church service, go home and talk about what you've learned from God's word and how you can apply it as a family. Watch good preaching with your family. Sermon Audio, YouTube, Vimeo, people like Paul Washer, Steve Lawson, R.C. Sproul, Votie Bauckham, and many, many, many other good preachers, and then discuss it as a family. Go to the beach and look at the grains of sand and teach how Abraham's descendants would be uncountable like the grains of sand. Or do the same by going to a remote beach or a grassy field away from city lights and lie on your back on a sleeping bag or a blanket. And observe the stars. And again, teach how the stars are uncountable like Abraham's descendants would be. Go to an aquarium or a zoo. You can get fill guides from creation.com and learn about creation. Take your whole family when appropriate to visit the sick, shut in, elderly. Help the children make cards of encouragement. Go to a hospital. And pass out boxes of candy with thank you notes to the staff. Or take toys to a pediatric unit. Take candy or donuts, especially donuts, to the police department. Go home and teach your kids about Romans chapter 13. You can have every family member get involved in a missions project, teaching everyone to make sacrifices to support a missionary by Bibles or support a needy child overseas or at home for that matter. The sacrifices our children make for the kingdom are just as significant as those that we as adults make. And they need to understand that. Teach your children a privilege God has given us to give to the local church. Be faithful to give. Watch your children. Say that again. Be faithful to give. Your children are watching. Encourage your children to give a portion of their allowance or their money that they've earned. Teach them everything we have is God's. God's entrusted it to us and given us the responsibility of being good stewards. Go on a vacation to the Grand Canyon and take me with you. Take a creation tour with a creation apologetics ministry. Plan and sacrifice and take your children on a church missions trip. It's one of the things that we're planning. Involve your whole family in serving in a ministry here at Cornerstone. Any ministry. Even if it's cleaning the church after service. It matters. We can probably think of a thousand ways. That's just a few. To get involved as families in kingdom work. Kingdom work, you see, is church work. And kingdom work begins in the heart. What a difference it makes when our homes are centered around the glory of God and not around the things of this world. Never let anyone convince you that being intentional about family worship doesn't matter. Folks, it matters. The very first generation, as I mentioned last week, of Israelites that grew up in the land of promise turned away from the Lord and followed false gods parents did not teach them the word of God. Yes, the Bible clearly teaches divine sovereignty, even with our children, but it also teaches human responsibility. I'm not going to try to reconcile the two things because I cannot. Even Spurgeon said, I never have to reconcile two friends. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility have never had a falling out with each other. I do not need to reconcile what God has joined together. Where these two truths meet, I I do not know, nor do I want to know. They do not puzzle me since I have given up my mind to believing them both. Yes, God is sovereign, but we have responsibilities and God has proclaimed them to us. It matters what we do. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Folks, either your life will be committed to self interest or kingdom interest. Which will it be? Which will it be for me? And which will it be for you? There is no greater service than than to serve the king and his kingdom. He's not only our king, he's our father because we are children of the king. Adopted into the family of the king, the one that is absolutely sovereign. Seek first his kingdom. Seeking first his kingdom begins in your homes may God be glorified through our lives let's pray